I know we're throwing you off. We're keeping you on your toes today. I'm preaching early. We're get, we got an over-under going on how many people walk in in the middle of the message today. It's going to be fun. Um, speaking of toes, uh, I have an interesting injury to tell you guys about. I promise I won't show you a picture. I don't want anybody to have to go running out of here because it's... Uh, We'll get there. But how many of you guys are, would you say, and, and I hate to use the word injury prone because I don't try to use that for myself. It just seems like accidents seem to happen a lot around me. Anybody else in the room kind of like, yeah, like somehow accidents find us. Um, I just, I was curious. I was thinking about this and I want to see, I don't have a prize for you or anything, but let's just kind of do, um, I want to see who, who is the most injury prone just in terms of broken, broken bones. So uh, how many of you have never broken a bone, ever? Okay, that's actually pretty impressive. All right, how many of you have broken at least one bone? Let's see. Okay, all right, that's a good, uh, what about, keep your hand up if it's two. All right, you've broken two bones. All right, what about, keep it up if it's three. All right, and what about four? Okay, I, I do I have, is anyone still, I, I think I have it then still. I, I think I've broken six bones. And uh, a couple of them went undiagnosed, and so I don't even know how to count those. But we had this, I had this in, incident recently where I was walking around, I was like limping, I was having this, and I hated to admit to people what was even going on because this is like, are you like limping? Like what happened? Was it some, you were getting a PR or something and you like hurt yourself? And I'm like, babe, like I like whisper like, it's my toe. Like, my, I have a toe issue. And so I'm like, well, I'm limping because I have a toe issue. I showed her my toe, and she was like, she gasped. Like, she's like, ugh. Like, there was something clearly wrong with that toe. It was red. It was discolored. Some of you are already, like, on Google, like, you know, WebMD. Like, what is wrong with that? And I was doing the same kind of, so I was like, I, t- I asked Jess. I was, like, con- actually kind of concerned. I was like, I asked her. I was like, babe, if I had to get my toe amputated, like, will you be embarrassed to go to the pool with me? And I love her because she's just really, she's real. She's just like, yes, I would be embarrassed. <laughs> she's like, I'd probably still go with you, but I would be embarrassed for sure. And uh, so I went to the doctor to get this thing checked out. I kind of knew that, like, it might have been connected to an incident that I had about a year ago. Um, yeah, right? Um, so I should have went to the doctor. I was down in a basement helping out my brother-in-law put these mats in his basement for this home gym. And I was kicking the mats. And one of them was wet. I was trying to get it into the, you know, into fit nicely. And I slipped completely and my, all of my body and all of my weight went straight into the concrete wall. Now, the weird thing about my toe is my second toe is longer than my first one. So toe number two took like the brunt of my entire weight. And I was like, I mean, I was trying not to like be like I'm in immense pain or anything like that because they were both there. And my, my sister-in-law, like, she thought it was the funniest thing ever. Like she was just, so I was like trying to be just totally cool. Like whenever she's laughing so hard. So anyway, I, let, I was hurt like crazy. Fast forward an entire year. And all of a sudden, this thing is red, it's painful, all these issues. I go into the doctor, because I'm like, okay, I need to address this thing. I go into the doctor, and, like, the doctor is perplexed. Like, she's looking, she's like, that is weird, like, we should get some x-rays, like, that is discolored, that is really strange. And so, anyway, they kind of gave me some antibiotics, things like that, and they're like, we'll come back, come back, check, check on you. So then when I came back into the doctor, they check on me, and the nurse, literally, as she's coming into the room, it's like, she goes, Oh, you're the guy with the toe. Like, they've been talking about it. Like, that's the weird toe guy. Like, he's got, 
And so then the doctor's like, yeah, here's what we think it probably is. It's probably this, what they, what they thought was like COVID toe, but it's not COVID toe. It's like, I'm like, what? They're basically like, we have no idea what's wrong with you, but you got those x-rays done, and the doctor's like, your foot is 75 years old. Like, you have a 75-year-old foot. I don't know how you did that. Congratulations. But the moral of this entire story, was, he told me, like, he said some people uh, put Rogaine on their toe because what it is is it's like you're not getting enough blood flow to your toe. I'm like, okay, like, I'm not putting Rogaine. I don't want a hairy, hurtful toe. Like, so anyway, I still have a toe issue. But he's like, it gets better when a warm weather comes. Like, you'll be all right. But he's like, you do have a 75-year-old foot. And basically the moral of the story was you are beyond help. Like, this is, this is it. Like, congratulations, your, your foot is 75, and uh, so are other parts of my body, apparently. I'm just, like, falling apart. But um, as we've been journeying through this idea of being whole, whole spiritually, um, maybe you've wanted to believe. Like, maybe you want these people, like, I want to believe that this, like, wholeness thing is possible. I'll take the journey. I'll sign up. I'll read some scripture. I'll do the things. Maybe you've wanted to believe, but you've doubted that it's possible for you. Maybe if you're really honest, you're like, I, I just don't know. Like, if you knew my story, maybe you're the one that's like, man, I am a wreck. Like, the, they're gonna, the diagnosis for me is going to be beyond help. Like, sorry, you're the one guy that was beyond help. You're the one lady that's beyond help. It's like once God finds out your story, it's like, oh, yeah, actually, there was a clause in there. Like, you were the one person that wholeness was not available to. And maybe you felt like that before. And maybe in your mind you know different but you felt like you're just a little too broken to be fixed, like you've just made too much of a mess of things, or maybe you're in the middle of a bunch of stuff right now, you're like, this is going to be an absolute mess if it surfaces, and I just can't take the journey to wholeness. Well, here's the message that I have for you this morning. I believe it's directly from the heart of God. You too can be made whole. You too can be made whole. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Nobody is beyond help. Nobody is beyond God's reach. Nobody is beyond the ability to experience wholeness. Here's what it says in Mark 2, 16 through 17. This is when Jesus was, uh, the teachers of the law were watching Jesus and they thought it was absolutely the craziest thing ever that he would sit down with sinners and tax collectors. If this guy really knew who he was sitting with, he wouldn't be sitting with them. And so they asked the disciples about this, and why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And this is the crazy thing. It was the ones who actually knew that they were sick, broken, desperate, injury-prone, that actually experienced the most miraculous healings. It was the ones that were really, truly at the end of themselves that could finally take hold of what Jesus had for them. And wherever Jesus was welcomed, wholeness followed. This is the message, and this is the message for you. And so today, we're kind of on the tail end of uh, this series, although, of course, you know this is not the tail end of the wholeness journey. In fact, Wholeness is not a destination that we really reach this side of heaven, but it's something we enter into more and more as we more deeply pursue the person of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to say the journey is just beginning. 
continue to chase after him, continue to, continue to pursue Jesus, because wherever Jesus is welcomed, wholeness follows. And so continue to welcome him. And it might be an up and down road, it might be a roller coaster, but it's absolutely worth it. And what I want to do today is talk about some of what I would call the first fruits of wholeness. And so, again, when we think about the fruition of wholeness, which is the message today, it's not as if we're looking, especially in this lifetime, as this destination. We're like, that's when you finally have these things in place, you're there. You've arrived, right? We will not arrive fully this side of heaven. And so here's some of the things, though, that begin to surface in the life of those people that are being made whole. In fact, you see it all throughout history. You see it through the biblical context, all throughout any major spiritual movement, these things are happening, including, by the way, the current one that's happening right here in our own nation, in our own backyard. These things are happening. And so I want to to look at those things that begin to happen as wholeness uh, begins to take uh, root in the lives of people. And here's the first one, that there is confessing. There is confessing. I'm struck by a question that Jesus asks a man who's seeking healing in the New Testament. This man's been unable to walk his entire life. He's sitting at this pool where he believed that it was this, this pool that he, the, the legend was that if you sat by this pool or if you happened to be the first one down into this pool after these angels would steal, stir the waters, that you would receive healing. And of course, because he was unable to walk and did not have the ability to win the race down to the pool of healing, he felt like he's like, I'm beyond help. I'm not ever going to be able to be healed. And Jesus comes up to him and he asks him a strange question. He says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's a strange question to ask a man who you would think the answer to that is very obvious. Of course I want to get well. I want to be able to walk. But he asks the question anyway and then Sir the invalid replied, and interestingly, he offers sort of the justification for why he's not been well, all the reasons why he can't be weighed well. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else just gets down ahead of me. And so he's buying into this superstition to say, if I could just get into those waters, I could get well, but it's beyond my reach. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And here's why that question Strikes me, it seems like the answer is obvious. But here he is, he's been sitting here, and you got to imagine, and some of us are like this, that the longer we've been sitting in our stuff, we start to just make our home there. We get comfortable there, like this is kind of just the way it is, and so we just live there. And to be honest, we don't really want things to get shook up. We're not to that place in our lives where we're desperate enough to say, I just, I'm ready to, for things to actually get shook up. We like the idea of wellness. We like the idea of wholeness. We like the idea of being satisfied to be free from our sin, all of these things. But the question is, and I pose it to you, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And this is the invitation. Well, the question is, if you want to get well, you better be ready because here's the answer. Jesus is like, we're going to shake things up here. If you want to get well, you don't get to play the victim anymore. We don't, you don't get to, and, and he didn't get to be the victim anymore. If you want to get well, there's some things you're going to have to let go of. So do you want to get well? Well, here's the first step. It's pretty straightforward. Straightforward, not simple. Confess. Confess. 
You have to get to the place where you're desperate enough to take this posture of humility and admit that you've fallen short. That all of the methods that you've tried, all of the superstitions, all of the things that everybody else says will work, just haven't quite gotten you there. And you have to get to the place, you know what, my own way of doing this just hasn't worked. I need help. Until you get to the place where you are truly to the end of yourself, you will never experience wholeness. None of us will. Until we get to the place where we absolutely are desperate for Jesus, we will not experience the fullness of all that he has for us. First John 1 through 8 says this, uh, 1, 8 through 10 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. I mean, this is the offer that Jesus is giving you. But if we claim we have not sinned, in other words, if we just pretend, if we justify, if we continue to pretend like everything is okay, big and small, right? Or we continue to notice all of the other sins out here and all around us and in everybody else's life, but we fail to look into our own hearts and say, all right, God, where am I falling short? Until we get to this place, we cannot experience wholeness. Humility is the fertile ground on which God plants his seeds of revival, Humility, personal revival, is the beginning of corporate revival, as Mark Sayers points out. And personal revival begins with humility through tears of confession and repentance. It's this conviction, and some of you have been fighting that conviction. You know that feeling. You've been fighting it for a long time, but you have not allowed that conviction to move to the place of true, genuine confession. To just pour your heart out before God and be like, God, you know what? You're right. I'm done doing this. I'm done running from you. I need you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, read the histories and accounts of every revival that has ever taken place, and you will invariably find this, that the one man or the group, the little group of people who have been used in this way by God to send revival have always known a state of utter desperation and final despair. Every single one of them. Read the journals of of Whitfield and Wesley. Read the life history of all these men and women. They have always come to this place where they have realized their utter and absolute impotence, their final paralysis. There is the Red Sea. Here is the enemy. There are the mountains. They are shut in. They are shut down. They are crushed to their knees. It is always the prerequisite. It is always the moment at which God acts. Every time. Until we reach the point of holy discontentment, wholeness will never come for us or for anyone else. Jesus said it this way, if anyone wants to find their life, they'll lose it. In Matthew 5, 3, he says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Friends, I pose the question to you, do you want to get well? Confession is not just a one-time thing. It's not just for the major things in our life. It's this ongoing acknowledgement that apart from God, apart from his mercy, apart from his grace, then we all fall short. We can't do it on our own. And so there's confessing. There's this posture of conviction that gives way to confession. And there's, it's just a constant posture of those that are being made whole. And the second one is this, changing in a tangible way. 
Remember Zacchaeus? Kids, you guys are in here today. You remember Zacchaeus? He was the, the wee little man. He climbed up the tree to see Jesus. And this guy, had his, his life was a mess. He, he made a living off stealing from people. He was a tax collector. Nobody really liked him. He didn't have any friends for that very reason because he got rich on stealing from others. And so he had in him, though, this conviction that led him to this place to climb up this tree to, to fix his eyes upon Jesus. And Jesus is like, I'm coming to your house today. When Jesus says, I'm coming to your house to say, say, yes, sir, we'll, we'll be ready, you know? And, uh, and so Jesus comes to this man's house, and here's his response. Zacchaeus, he stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There's just something in him that just is like, I, I, I have got to change. And change doesn't always happen all at once, right? It's time-tested. But it is this change that's inside and out. My boys got to go with uh, Grandma this past week um, to this recreations outlet, and they got they. She sent me this picture, like, of the, and I was like, "Whoa! Like, what's going on here?" And I'm like, "This is such like they're at recreations outlet. They're playing on playgrounds and all these things like all day, and like this is such a grandparent thing to do, you know? Like, what would, the kids would come to me like, "Hey, Dad, can we get our face paints for like five dollars a face paint?" I'm like. No, like, we're not doing that, all right? I brought you to the playground. What more do you want? Like, but like Mimi, she's like, let's get our face painted. Like, we're here. Like, why not? Let's embrace, you know? And so they were loving it. In fact, Jude was loving it so much, I think he was convinced that he was actually Spider-Man. Like, he has, like, a little Spider-Man outfit, like, this, like, his pajamas, and he was like, I've got to find my Spider-Man pajamas, you know, he's, like, all, like, looking around, and he was just in Spider-Man mode, like, all day, like, he was loving it, like, my mom was like, I'm really concerned, like, when you try to wash that off, or if that gets washed off, like, he is going to be a wreck. Thankfully, he dealt with it okay, and, and it was fine, but he had, like, really, he was in character, like, all day. I think he really thought that he had become Spider-Man. Now, obviously... All of us adults know that, like, that's just because he got his face painted like Spider-Man and the two boys were Bengal tigers, that they didn't actually become that, right? But when it comes to our real life, we still kind of fall for the idea that if we just paint some of the good Christian things on, like, we're going to, that's like, I'm a Christian. Like, of course. Like, if I, if it just, if I can just kind of play the part, if I can just do the thing, that, then that means that something is taking place, the change is taking place. But the truth is, is that stuff, when it really comes down to it, it rinses right off, right? It really does, and it's kind of out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, meaning it's kind of out of the heart that all of those real true things about ourselves come about. And so real change takes place inside and outside. And I believe that God doesn't want to, with this whole journey, like he wants to do a deep work with you. He doesn't want to just do some, paint some stuff on the surface so you don't embarrass him. Like, he's like, no, I, I want to really change you from the inside out, and that's going to take some time, and we're going to do it together. Our faith must prove genuine over time. And you know, it's interesting because change people, they start thinking different, they start acting different, they start making different decisions. You look at their life and they're like, wait, why, why do they do that? It's really interesting. They start acting really generous and loving other people around them, and it doesn't seem like a forced thing or like they're doing it for their own agenda. It's just like part of who they are. They begin to experience real change, and I believe that real change is possible. We talked about, about George Whitfield, who um, was an evangelist that um, was, was, was really um, just 
seeing all kinds of like people respond as he was going around and preaching these revivals and things like that. And one of the things that he would all like people would come to him and report like, hey, there's all of these people responding. And he would give them the numbers like there's this many people responding. And his answer was always when they would say that to him, he'd say, allegedly, allegedly, when he say all these people respond, he'd say, well, allegedly. And what does he mean by that? Well, it's not because he was a skeptic. It was just because he understood that it's one thing to respond, but it's a different thing to allow that response to really take hold to the place where change begins to happen. And time ultimately will tell. And so people who are experiencing wholeness or confessing, they're changing, they're then testifying. You remember this woman at the well? Jesus showed up to her and she was living a whole other life and Jesus was aware of that whole other life, all kinds of different men in her life. And Jesus basically tells her all these things without knowing this woman. And the woman then, as she experiences it, and this is the whole conversation where Jesus is like, they're at the well and he gives this great object lesson and he's like, hey, you want living water? Like, it's, you're going to come back here, you're going to need to keep coming back to this well, but if I've got something different for you. And so he's telling her about what she could experience in this idea of living water. And it's interesting because as she has this profound experience with Jesus, what does she want to do? She wants to go talk about it. I mean, anytime you've had a big thing happen in your life, well, you don't even tell other people about it, right? And this was earth-shattering to her. She'd say, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, right? Like, that's a pretty crazy thing to go around bragging about. Like, he knows all my sins. Like, you know, like, listen, like, and people are probably like, I don't want to. You know, I don't want that fortune teller to be coming around me. Like, that's he's going to reveal some stuff, right? But she goes and tells people this, and it says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of, because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I think sometimes we make it too hard, and sometimes we think, like, I'm not equipped for that. Like, how could I ever go and testify about Jesus? Like, I, I, I'm not trained in that. I don't have eloquent words. I just, it, it's just not for me. How could I do that? But she made it very simple. She just shared her story. Look at how Jesus impacted me. It was this, this because of Jesus kind of story. Because of Jesus, this happened in my life. I actually went down to Asbury. Um, it was just, you know, I, like I told you guys, I don't think we have to go down to Asbury to experience revival. But I went down there because it it's my school. I'm in school, uh, not on campus there, but I'm, I'm going through school there right now. And it was cool just to go down, took the boys with me. Um, and what was really struck me was the simplicity of it all. It's very simple. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't planned, it wasn't programmed, it was largely student-led, there wasn't big names on the platform, there wasn't a bunch of cool effects and great, I mean, it was like lights up in a chapel, like these moments were happening. And there was these simple things happening, like we're talking about, there was confession, there was people saying, man, I, I just feel like God has taken a hold of me and I want to experience real change. And one of the things that was happening is these students, these young people, these these folks in Gen Z that often get a bad reputation, they're like sharing their stories of what God is doing. They're getting up there, and there's this one young girl, and she's, she's just sharing her stories. This like little teenage white girl. She's up there sharing her story, and a skinny little girl, and she's, she's just, it, it, it's very simple, 
She's actually sharing the woman at the well story, comparing it to her testimony. She shares all this stuff. She talks about all the abuse and trauma that she's faced and dealt with, all these things that have gone on in her life, and how Jesus, because of Jesus, her life was changed. And it was crazy because there was this big old, there was, they had this response. And there was this, this big guy that came up, and he was just, you know, he was calling for um, a response. And he was like, hey, she just shared her testimony like somebody should respond. And there was this guy, this older guy in the room that came, and you look at these two, and you're like, they couldn't be two different, you know, two different people, but he responded to the message of Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And it's just simple, and this is the way that God shows up. Do not discount your story. But I don't have a crazy story. Well, you have a story, and your story is a God story. So we should share those stories. Yes, we're all still works in progress. None of us are perfect. But what is happening in your life because of Jesus? We all have a because of Jesus. Things that have happened and are happening. The last thing I want to talk about is this, and then we're going to create an opportunity here to actually do some of these things. That's why I'm preaching on the front end. You can't manufacture this stuff, but I'd like to, after we've gone through this whole 30, it's tough to talk about these things and not at least create an opportunity today to experience those things if some of you feel led to experience those things. And so we're just setting the stage for God to do whatever he wants to do today and get out of the way. And that's what we're going to do during the, the back half of our worship today. Uh, but the last thing that often happens is, and should happen, is contending. This means to struggle against, to stand up and fight against. And there is this contending that happens where people that have been, that God has taken hold of, fight for the people around them. They care for the people around them. They pray for the people around them. They realize that they want others to experience what they have experienced because of Jesus. And so they join the struggle. They stand up and fight against the forces of evil, waging war in the lives around us. And one of the major ways that we contend for others is prayer. Someone wrote on the prayer board back there um, an update from one of their prayers. And I can't, they erased what was there before, so I don't exactly know. But the update, I think it was about someone's father, maybe their husband. But they, they put an update on the board back there that said, update. The day I wrote this, he decided to stop drinking after months and months and months. Like the day that that prayer was, I mean, it's just crazy. And people have been praying over this board and praying for these. It's, it's, it's amazing to see what happens and um, how God shows up in different ways. And when you've begun to experience wholeness of being set free, it only makes sense, right, to fight, to set others free, to help them to experience the wholeness that you have found in Jesus. When you've been on the receiving end of mercy, you want others to see God's mercy. Knowing that there's nothing you could have done by your own power to experience and receive wholeness, it was but by the grace of God. There's no difference between any one of us. God's heart is drawn to each and every person, and he desires a relationship with each and every one of his children, and it's our job to contend to fight for people. Your life screams, hey, he did it for me. He can do it for you. 1 Timothy 1, 14 through 16, we see this happen with the Apostle Paul, who, if you know Paul's story, he was a murderer. He was absolutely in complete opposition to the way of Jesus. And he had a radical transformation. His life was changed. And he just became the most powerful 
evangelist you've ever seen. He couldn't just, he couldn't help but fight and join the struggle for others. It says this in 1 Timothy 1, 14-16, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I am the worst of them all. He's saying, I'm the worst of them all, but God saved me. And what he's saying is, he did it for me, he can do it for you. I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He did it for me. He can do it for you. And people who are being made whole, they just want others to taste the wholeness that they have found through Christ alone. You know, I miss opportunities all the time. I mean, that's just me being real with you, being honest. Opportunities to fight for people. Um, we have had a young lady that joined us at the gym from Dubai over here, and my challenge has been that there's a language barrier, but there's also a fitness barrier in terms of her ability to do movements. And so I've been so focused on her just not dropping something on herself, essentially. Like, I'm, like, on guard, that I'm, like, missing some of what God's doing right in front of me. And it was Julie, who comes to church here, um, that came up to me and said, because her daughter, actually, uh, th- this lady has a young daughter, uh, who I wrote their name on the board. Um, one of the reasons they're living in Cincinnati is because her daughter, um, a 10-year-old, is, is battling cancer, like, fighting for her life. And so um, Julie comes up to me, and she's like, like, it, it should be so obvious to me. She's like, hey, do you think we should pray for Shama? And I was, I was like, yeah, I think, I think you should. You know, it's kind of how I was like, I was, yeah, I think, I think you should do that. Like, and she shared with me later, like, she just had this, like, great moment. She's like, she, you know, like I don't know what she believes or how she's going to react or respond. And she just says, hey, can I pray for you? And she was just so blessed by this, touched by this, tears streaming down her face. And so later I followed back up and said, hey, I wrote your name and, and your daughter's name over here on our prayer wall. She's like, that means so much. That means so much. And I don't know what God's going to do with that. I just know that this is the things that we're supposed to do, to contend for others. And I miss those opportunities all the time, but I would challenge you to continue to step into those things when they're in front of you. So here's what we're going to do today for just a little while. We're going to have a couple different things going on around the room. Uh, first, I'm going to invite you guys to uh, participate in a time of communion. This would be a great opportunity for you just to search yourself and really ask that question of, do I want to get well? Like, do I really want to get well? Do I want to experience all that God has for me? And just understand that the invitation is available to you. That wholeness is not bought by your efforts. It's bought by the blood of Christ. And that's what we celebrate in communion as we, as we break the bread together and as we take communion. So we're going to have that time followed by some offering time. And then... We're going to do some things a little different today, and, and this, is, this makes me maybe just as uncomfortable as it makes you. This is a different kind of day, but I want you to trust maybe what God's impressing upon you, and we're going to have an opportunity here for a little bit of testimony, and I'll, I'll describe that after communion time here a little bit, how, that, how that's going to look. Um, we're going to make it pretty simple, I think, and uh, again, nothing flashy. You don't have to feel like you have eloquent words or anything. You're just, just hey, here's what God's doing. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to have an opportunity. There's some mats laid out where you can just come and bow down. Um, you don't have to confess anything out loud. We're not going to do that to you. <laughs> so uh, just a private moment to just bow before God and say, God, I, I, I just need your help. 
Um, if you need somebody to pray, I'll be available, and we'll just have this opportunity to do some of these things around the room. And then we're going to have an opportunity to do some contending here in a little bit in terms of prayer. I would love for you to just think of somebody, allow God to bring somebody to mind that you just want to pray for, and just put their name up on the board. And then maybe some of you that just have a heart to pray, just get to camp out back in that corner, just pray for those people um, that whose names are on the board, and just, um, and, and just fight in that way, join the struggle um, in that way. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to lead into a time of communion here. Um, and then we're going to have, just during our worship time here, during these last several songs, um, the opportunity to respond in some different ways. God, thank you so much for your goodness. 